Hey, go ahead and have a seat if you would. Had a great time of worship this morning, wasn't it? Yeah, we can celebrate that. A little slow getting started here, but that's all right. Hey, we're glad to have you here this morning, especially if you're new uh, to Genesis Church. A special welcome to you, and, and we'd love to be able to serve you in any way that we can. Uh, so if you need some help or you have some questions while you're here today, uh, please see someone that kind of looks like they know what they're doing or have been around here for a while or stopped by our info hub, and we'd sure be happy uh, to help you. When you came in today, you should have received the program. Hope that you'll take some time to look through that. One of the things that you'll find in there is there's an insert in there this morning that highlights uh, some resources that we're collecting. Uh, we're partnering with Bethel Lutheran Food Pantry right here in Noblesville, and uh, they're reaching Hamilton County and beyond right now. Uh, so one of the ways that we give uh, is to give up some resources that I think are so easy to take for granted, uh, but there are people around us who are struggling right now and could benefit uh, from some of those things. So as you hit the store this week or the next couple of weeks, uh, pick up a few extra items or you can go completely overboard. And uh, we've got grocery carts outside of this room that you can bring next week or in the coming weeks and bring those resources. And we've got a team of people that will make sure that they get uh, to the right place. Uh, so we celebrate giving in that way. Another way that we celebrate giving is through our financial gifts on Sunday mornings. And so I'm going to invite our host team to come forward right now uh, as we take our offering today. And uh, there you go. Again, we get pretty excited about that. Hey, we, uh, we're really excited that on Sunday, October the 24th, we're going to a three-service uh, schedule on Sunday mornings, uh, 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15. Our desire is to make room uh, for as many people as possible here at Genesis Church. Uh, in your worship program, uh, there is a tear-out card, and uh, we're asking you to think about making a couple of commitments with us if you call Genesis Church your home. Uh, the first is that we would love to hear from you as far as what worship service you're planning to attend. Uh, we want to just see how this kind of all evens out. And I want to challenge you to think about being a part of the 8.30 or the 11.15 service. Uh, we expect and anticipate that 9.45 will be busy. And we love that. And we love the new people that come. And so would you consider 8.30 or 11.15 with your family? Uh, and we would love to hear from you in that. The second thing is that we'd love to know uh, if you'd be willing to serve with us. And our challenge is that for everyone who calls Genesis Church their home, that you would find some place to serve here with us uh, at any point, but especially on Sunday mornings. And you can check out the opportunities that we have there. We've got people at the Info Hub that would like to talk with you more. Our staff would love to share with you, our ministry leaders, about each of those opportunities. But uh, we're just calling it the three-service challenge. Uh, would you sign up to serve for three services a month? Uh, not necessarily three Sundays a month but to serve at three worship services a month. And uh, I, I just want to say thanks because over the past couple of weeks, we have, we have loved, we've been really impressed with the response from all of you, uh, but we need more. Uh, we need more volunteers still. And so we want to hear from everyone, and I hope that you'll take a moment to do that before you leave today. If you haven't already, and when you leave this morning, you can take that card and you can drop it off at the Info Hub uh, before we go. So thanks for your help in this. Uh, again, this is an exciting time and something that we are celebrating uh, together. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them right now and to turn to the book of Jonah. Uh, it's a little difficult to find. It's in the Old Testament and sort of uh, kind of to the end part of the Old Testament. If you get into language that's talking about Jesus, you've gone way too far to the right. So turn around and go back the other direction. Uh, but we're in the fourth and final part uh, of this series in the book of Jonah. The first two weeks of this series, we talked about Jonah uh, and Jonah running from God. We spent a lot of time talking about Jonah running from God. The truth is that we all run from God. You know, every single one of us, this room is full of runners. And whether you're running right now or not running, 
the fact is that we've all run from God. I, I've run from God. And we've talked about God's perspective on runners that even though we run, you know, no matter how far you've run in your life, no matter where you've run to or where you've come from, that our God is gracious, that he is ready, and he is always willing to bring you back. And isn't that the awesome thing about God's love, that he is always willing to bring us back, that even though you ran or even though you're running right now, that God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. Uh, that's the way that our God works. That's the way that he operates. And, and even as we've talked about over the past couple weeks, that all of the circumstances in your life, even all of the dr- junk that you've been through or you're going through right now, whether it be the marriage falling apart or some challenges uh, with having kids or the loss of job or, or maybe a health crisis, that all of the circumstances that God can use those. Uh, that he chooses to use those circumstances. And I think what's most important to remember when we consider this is that God doesn't use those circumstances so much to pay you back. He doesn't do that. But, but God is willing to use those circumstances to bring you back. You know, that he was willing to do that in Jonah's life. He's willing to do it in ours. That even though you ran, even though we run, you know, God is willing to bring us back. He still has a purpose and a plan for you. Now, Jonah might not have seen it coming, You know, he might not have expected it, but, you know, Jonah ran, as you know the story, he was swallowed by the fish. You know, the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. He had nothing to offer God but himself. He had no, you know, uh, history to say, hey, you know, I've been faithful to you or whatsoever because I've been running, running, running. But look at what Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 says, or just listen to what Jonah 3 1 says again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And God said, go to Nineveh. My plan is still right for you, Jonah. I, I still have a purpose and a plan for your life. My mission is still the same. I'm going to use you. You are my chosen man. Well, last week, Josh uh, did a great job walking us through Jonah chapter 3, kind of this mission to Nineveh, you know, second time around. Here I go. My name's Jonah. Well, I want to spend a few minutes with you this morning reviewing chapter 3, but then we're going to get right in and finish up with Jonah chapter 4 because it's really important, I think, that we see them both together because they really do go together even as we consider kind of where God's taken me this morning with this. But I'll warn you, I'm going to warn you in this, that the story gets a little upside down right here. And not that, you know, living in the belly of a whale isn't a little strange already, but, but even more so, uh, chapters 3 and 4 get a little ugly. And, and if you didn't grow up in church, if you didn't grow up around church, and, and maybe you're even here today and you've held some critical feelings towards the church or a pastor or, or, or Christians for that matter, I'm just going to tell you right now, right up front, that you're going to see an ugly side of, of Christians, of the church, of followers of God here today with Jonah's life. You know, because chapters 3 and 4 reveal some of the ugliness that, that we Christians sometimes bear, that we hold on to in our own lives. And Jonah had a really ugly side. And, and even as I was preparing this message for today, I've just, I discovered, you know, I've got a lot more Jonah in me than I realize. You know, I've, I've got an ugly side as well. It can get pretty ugly. So chapter 3, that's where we're going to start, and then we'll get into chapter 4. Uh, but let's start in chapter 3 if you're there. You know, God tells Jonah, I, I want you to go to Nineveh. And so let's pick it up right there in Jonah chapter 3, verse 3. Follow along with me if you would. It says, Jonah obeyed. And that's a start. That's a good second time around. He didn't do that the first time. But Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city and a visit there, a visit required three days. So the text says that it was an important city. Now, what does it mean that a visit required three days? Well, simply, that's, what, that's the, the amount of time. It's an estimate of the time that it took to walk around the city. Uh, to get to as, uh, to as many parts of it as possible, it took about three days to walk it on foot. Verse 4. 
On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. You know, so Jonah's got an eight-word sermon, you know, for the city of Nineveh. And sometimes you wish your teaching pastors had an eight-word sermon, you know, and get through it a little bit more quickly. But this is an eight-word sermon. I mean, can, can you picture Jonah in this? It's almost kind of like the guy who's walking down the street with the bullhorn, or maybe he's got a big sign yelling, you know, you're, you're all going to hell, you know, turn or burn now, whatever. I mean, you've kind of seen that guy before on, on a college campus or at a large event or something. And that's kind of the picture that we almost get here with Jonah. Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So Jonah spoke. You know, the Ninevites believed God, as the text says here in verse 5. Kind of hard to believe, isn't it? You know, I bet Jonah was just kind of blown away by everything that he witnessed happening around him. I mean, you can almost read his mind. You know, are you kidding me? I mean, these are the Ninevites. I mean, I know their reputation. I know what they're capable of. I mean, these are the enemies of Israel. As we've discussed, you know, the Ninevites were barbarians. I mean, they were inhumane. They were pagans. They they were people far from God. Jonah preaches an eight-word sermon to the city of Nineveh, and these people are automatically changed forever, dramatically changed forever, their lives radically altered by the power of God in this moment. I mean, it must have shocked Jonah. You know, it must have really flipped him out. You know, I I can't help but wonder why the overwhelming response. I mean, how is it that Jonah preaches this eight-word sermon and 120,000 people surrender their lives to God? You know, that question came up on our connection group last Sunday night as we were talking about this. And someone just said, you know, hey, how is it, you know, why such an overwhelming response here? I, I was listening to a pastor preach through this text this past week, preaching through Jonah's chapter three and four. And he made a couple of interesting observations regarding some of the events recorded in history that were going on or around or in Nineveh, going on in Nineveh about this time. The first thing was this, that history records that not too long before Jonah entered into Nineveh that a solar eclipse had taken place that was especially visible in this part of the world. And during those times when things happened in the sky like this, people got a little freaked out. I mean, they sort of expected something to follow. Another thing happened, and that was that news was reaching Nineveh that about a hundred miles to the north, enemies were coming together, beginning to invade from the north and sort of threatening the stronghold that Nineveh, that Assyria had held on to for some time. And the third thing was this, that Nineveh and this area of the country had experienced some plagues over the past few years. And hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of people had died as a result of these plagues. And so here's what's happening, or here's what's interesting about these events. You know, with each of these events, and potentially others, God had used these events to get their attention. It wasn't so much that God was working to pay them back, as much as He was working in these events to bring them back. And so Nineveh is on the alert. Enter this guy into the situation from Israel, boldly preaching a message of judgment and repentance. Here's the point. Long before Jonah had ever stepped foot on sand in the city of Nineveh, God was already there working behind the scenes to prepare them for the message that Jonah was about to bring. Now, why is that important? Because right now, in your life, there are people, there are friends, there are family members, there are neighbors, there are co-workers. There are people in your life right now, and you may not realize it, but God is working behind the scenes, working to get their attention, 
and he is waiting for you to bring a message of hope that could radically alter or change their lives forever. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God is always working behind the scenes. He he is always working behind the scenes. And so my question for you this morning, is God prompting you right now? That even right now here in this room, that there's a face, there's a name coming to your mind that God has laid on your heart, that God has been putting that person there for a reason. He's nudging you right now saying, I'm working behind the scenes. You are my purpose. You are my, you are my person. This is the purpose that I have for your life right now. I got an email uh, from a, a woman in our church just a couple of weeks ago that she gave me permission to share. Uh, Robin Nichols uh, attends here with her family. She owns a consignment shop uh, here in Noblesville. And uh, she wrote this, and I thought it was pretty interesting. She says, hey, I need to tell you something that happened the Sunday that Ben, our worship pastor, uh, spoke to us about listening to God. First off, please know that I have never done anything like this before. She goes on to explain, this, this lady came into the store on Sunday, just a few minutes after we opened, and I noticed that she was really looking hard for something. And I don't know why, but in that moment, I felt in me an urge to tell her, God loves you. Well, I tried to ignore it. I tried to keep busy thinking, you know, why do I feel like this? And I I tried to talk myself out of it. In my mind, I was thinking, you know, what if she gets offended or what if she looks at me, you know, kind of funny. And it seems like I questioned these thoughts forever, but in actuality, it was only a few minutes. Finally, the woman made her selection and I went to ring her up. As she laid her item on the counter, she looked right at me and said, I guess this will do. I just moved back into my parents' house. And without thinking in that moment, I marked the ticket. I handed it back to her and told her to consider it a housewarming gift and that today it was free. And without even hesitating, I said, and I just want you to know today that God loves you. All I can say is that in that moment, we both teared up immediately. She started crying. And she explained how she had recently been forced from her trailer. It was in no condition to live in. And she doesn't have a job either. And she thanked me for her words and told me that she needed to hear that today. Robin writes, I I can't help but wonder how many more times I have missed hearing what I was really supposed to be doing. Who are you supposed to be talking to right now? Uh, Who is it that God has put in your life right now? I mean, the truth is that God is always working behind the scenes. And he is doing it in the lives of people around you right now. And that's the case here with Jonah. So let's move on to chapter 4. Now again, chapter 4 is a little strange. It gets a little weird, a little upside down. And chapter 4 really brings Jonah's heart under the microscope for all of us to see. But before we begin in Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, let's just wrap it up with Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 first. Verse 10 says, When God saw what they did, he's talking about the Ninevites here, and how they turned from their evil ways... He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. And so God had compassion on these people. And as a result, 120,000 lives were saved, were spared on this day. Now Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. And so Jonah was upset. We see it right here. He was angry. He didn't agree with God. And if you read this for yourself, you can't help but think a little bit. If you know the story, I mean, time out, Jonah. I mean, come on, get a grip or something. I mean, pay attention to what God's doing here. I mean, this is, this is great news. I mean, somebody grab the Gatorade cooler, you know, and dump it on this guy. I mean, you celebrate, you know, this kind of result. It's like a big victory here. Get excited about this. But it's here that we discover why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. 
Verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? So go back, if you would, and, and hear the words of Jonah before, he, before he, he fled to Tarshish. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish, because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. It, it's almost like Jonah saying, God, I knew you were going to do this. I mean, this is kind of like an I told you so moment. I don't want the Ninevites to be saved. I mean, do you see the problem that I have with this, Scott? I know their reputation. I know what they're capable of. I knew it would come to this. To be honest, I don't care about the Ninevites. I don't care what you're wanting to do here. And it's interesting that it's not so much that Jonah ran to Tarshish because he was scared of the Ninevites. He ran to to Tarshish because he knew God's reputation. I mean, he knew that in the end, God would be God. And he knew that God was set on demonstrating his love and his grace and his compassion for these people. And he wanted no part of it. It kind of play out like this today. I saw on the news where a couple of days ago, Osama bin Laden released another videotape with a message. All right, a bunch of, bunch of things. But let's suppose he released a message tomorrow for the whole world to hear. And he said basically this, we're done. Uh, We've come to this point where we've realized we've been wrong. And we're ready to live in peace with the rest of the world, even in our differences. You know, no more bombs, no more guns, no more acts of terror. You know, I'm going to continue living, you know, here in Pakistan or whatever, wherever in peace. And and I'm just going to let, we're just going to let the rest of the world, let's just go on in spite of our differences. Now, we'd see a message like that, be relieved, yeah, maybe, but what about justice, right? I mean, that would be my reaction. No, absolutely not. I mean, there has to be justice. We'd expect justice. I mean, you're not getting off that easy, and that's Jonah right here. He's like, how can we let these guys off so easy? I mean, God is letting the Ninevites off the hook, and he's pretty mad about it. He's pretty riled up about it. Verse 3, so he says, now, O Lord, take away my life. It is better for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Basically, just kill me, God. You know, just take me from the scene. This makes me so angry that, that I can't stand it, and there's no way that I can go back to Israel and report the news of what you've just done here. So kill me. Verse 4. But the Lord reply, replied, Have you any right to be angry? I mean, God says, Have you any right to be angry? I mean, come on, Jonah. I mean, I am a gracious and compassionate God. The grace that I extended to these people is the same grace that I extended to you when you were in the belly of that fish. And you are alive today because of me. And you are a recipient of all of these same great and good things that I'm offering to the people of Nineveh here today. Verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah goes into this place and maybe a hill of sorts where he can overlook the city. And here's where the story gets a little strange for today, but but hang with me, there's a point in all of it. Beginning in verse 6, it says, Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. 
When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. And so in this moment, in this scene, God provides this vine. He provides this shade, this relief for Jonah. And Jonah's probably like, it's about time. You know, I mean, been waiting for something like this. But then before Jonah realized that God provided a worm and the worm ate the vine. And next he provided this scorching east wind. And these weren't uncommon winds in this part of the country, even today, you know, that a wind like this can come along and raise the temperature as much as 15 to 20 degrees in a short period of time. So it's a dangerous wind. I mean, so you can, I miss, you, you can kind of put yourself in his shoes. You can feel his agony. He's like, I, I'm ready to die. And then look what God says to him in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, you have any right to be angry about that vine. Now, first look, first impression, it's kind of a weird question. It's kind of a little difficult to understand, but, but it's like God is saying this, Jonah, I want you to pay attention. I, I need you to pay attention because I am trying to teach you something about who I am right here with these people. Because here's the problem, Jonah, you are, you are so concerned, you have, you, have, you have built up such a great concern about this silly, stupid vine that just died rather than this great city of Nineveh. And, and this is a problem. And the next verse here is really key to the whole book. It's key to the whole story and where we're going today. Verse 10 and 11. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? I mean, here's what God's saying. Jonah, you're so concerned about this stupid vine. And and what did you do to make it grow? I mean, you are more concerned about this vine than you are and, and your own personal comfort and your own personal convenience. And then hear these words, the start of verse 11, but Nineveh. And if you've got your own Bible and if you're taking notes or something, you might want to just underline those two words, but Nineveh. There are 120,000 people there that cannot tell their right hand from their left. Basically, Jonah, they're like children. I mean, these people are like children. And Jonah, you know me. You know what I'm like. You know my reputation. They don't know anything about me, Jonah. And, And Jonah, when you look at these people, you see pagans, you see barbarians, you see godlessness, you see revenge, you see anger. And and you don't care. But when I see these people, I see my kids. These are my children. These are like sheep that have gone astray. You are more concerned about this vine. But should I not be concerned about this great city? And and here are the feelings that Jonah's running right up against. Jonah wanted to give the people. He wanted God to give the people what they deserve. But God is not like that. And if you're taking notes, write this in. God does not want to give us what we deserve. He wants to rescue us from what we deserve. God does not want to give us what we deserve. Rather, He is set on rescuing us what we truly deserve. God was more concerned about His children being spared from what they deserve. You know, Jonah deserved to die in a fish, and God was intent on rescuing him from the fish. God didn't want the people of Nineveh to get what they deserve, and and that's God's concern here. But for Jonah, Jonah was concerned about all of the wrong things. From the very beginning of the story, he's concerned about only the wrong things. 
you know, as you sit here this morning, as you reflect on your own life, as you think about this idea of what it means to be concerned about something and Jonah's concern and God's concerns, what truly concerns you? I mean, what are your great concerns right now in your life? As I was thinking about this this past week, um, and some of these are a little embarrassing, when I think about the things that most concern me right now, you don't want to know what they are. And I'm just being truthful and, and brutally honest. The first is, it drives me crazy that the St. Louis Cardinals completely imploded, you know, in the second half of the season. Drives me nuts, you know. Some of you are happy about that. Maybe you're a Reds fan. But it drives me crazy. I mean, this concerns me or, or you know, that, that this happened to us. You know what another thing that concerns me? My yard right now, you know. I, I'm a bit of a yard guy, you know, and I get a little, you know, crazy wacko about it. But, but it's concerned me that we've gone so long with the exception of yesterday, without any rain whatsoever, and my yard looks awful, and I wonder if it'll come back or something. You know, you want to know what another thing that concerns me? When I'm driving and I get stuck in traffic. And all I can do, my first reaction in those moments is to think about how late I'm going to be, how, how inconvenient this is, and it never crosses my mind to think that there may have been an accident up ahead and someone might have just lost their life. Like, those are the types of things that concern me, and it's a little embarrassing, but probably a little more true than I realize when I think about what my great concerns are right now. But what about my neighbor? You know, the truth is that everyone has an eternal destination. I mean, we are all going to live forever some, someday. That is true. You know, including my neighbor. And, and so why is it that his eternal destination doesn't bother me like it should? Why is it that I tend to overlook the fact that I have family members right now who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I mean, the Bible teaches we know that we all have a future. There is an eternal destination ahead of every single one of us. And, and I'm concerned that stuff like this just doesn't concern me like it probably should. Now, don't get me wrong. I am generally concerned for lost people. I am, and, uh, and maybe you are generally concerned about lost people too. And, and I think we've demonstrated this, and we talk the talk here at Genesis Church, or we talk the right talk, but are we really concerned about the fact that there are people, that every person here in Hamilton County or central Indiana, for that matter, is going to go and live somewhere someday in eternity, that every one of us is bound for something, and we are all headed somewhere, and does that concern me? like it should. I mean, does that concern you like it should? I mean, ladies, when, when you go to get your haircut, do you find that you're more concerned about the quality of the haircut that you receive rather than the person who's cutting your hair? And men, does it concern you at all that when you go out and order food that you are more concerned about no onions, no onions? I told you I want no onions on this. And we are more concerned about the server getting our food right than the condition of the heart of the person who is serving that food to us. And the people around us, you know, the people that you work with right now, your family members, your neighbors, your friends, they will live forever somewhere, someday. It's either heaven or it's hell. It's either with Jesus or it's without Jesus. Does that concern you like it concerns God? That's what God is getting to here with Jonah. And the sad reality for me is that I've got a lot more Jonah in me than I realize. And I don't know if that's the case for you, but, but here's what I want. I, I want in 25 years to be able to look back in my life and in your life and to be able to, to look and say, look, look how we've grown, or look how I've grown. As I was reading one person this past week, they said, you know, what, you know what a great measure of spiritual growth is in your life right now? A great measure of spiritual growth in your life is when you can truly say what concerns God is what concerns me. 
It's what concerns God that that is really what concerns me the most. It's a great way to measure. It's like you and me saying, I want to be more like Jesus every day. I want my thoughts to be more like the thoughts of Jesus every day in all that I do. You know, I I missed an opportunity the other day. It took me a couple of days to realize this. Um, I went to Aldi. Go through Dave Ramsey Financial Peace or whatever. If you've never been to Aldi before, you'll discover Aldi. And I went to Aldi to pick up uh, just one thing for dinner that night. And and as I was standing in line there at Aldi, a couple of people ahead of me, the guy that was checking out, it became obvious that he didn't have enough money to pay for his bill. It was like four bucks, I think, is what he needs. And and I felt a little embarrassed for him, and he was really embarrassed, and there was this long line. And and if you've been to Aldi before, you kind of know what that tension is like in that moment because they're so fast, you know, and you've got to get your your groceries bag so quickly and get out of the way so they keep prices low. But, But in that moment... I sort of felt like God said, Paul, you got an extra four bucks. But I was so intent on removing myself from the scene like I was looking at the other things that were for sale in that moment. And, and I really believe that I missed an opportunity that God wanted to give me there in that moment. Now, was I going to lead that person to Jesus Christ right there in the store or in the conversation out in the parking lot on the way to the car? Probably not. And for all I know, I mean, he may have known Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But, but what was difficult for me is that God was ready to use me in that moment. And I missed it. You know, and that's the truth for each of us. You know, God is working behind the scenes right now. He's getting people ready for the message that he hopes that you bring them. And sometimes he chooses to use your words. And sometimes he uses your actions or your act of service or love. And so I ask myself, do the concerns of God really concern me? Is the spiritual condition of of my friend, my neighbor, my family member, you know, does their spiritual condition, their future eternal destiny, the fact that we are all going somewhere someday, does it concern me? You know, I stopped right here as I was preparing this message this past week, and I just prayed, God, let your concerns concern me. Give me a greater passion. Give me a heart like yours to really see lost people and especially specific lost people around me right now that you've put in my life for a reason. So what are your concerns this morning? Do you share the concerns of God or are your concerns on a completely different list? When you came in today, you, you should have received a daisy. And some of you might be feeling pretty silly about it and maybe you've passed it off to your wife or to your little girl or something because especially if you're a guy, you feel a little bit too manly to hold this daisy. But I want you to take it out for a moment if you would. Would you just take it out and hold it in your hand? If you didn't get one when you leave today, pick one up. We've got plenty of them. But uh, I want you to take that daisy. I want you to hold it in your hand. I want you to look at it for just a second. Now, every single one of us has concerns and even valid concerns. And for a moment, I want you to let this daisy represent what most concerns you right now. Now, what would it represent? Again, we've got plenty of valid concerns. I mean, maybe for you right now, it's money. And it's just making sure that you've got enough money to provide for your family. Maybe you're in a place right now where you desperately need a job. And so for you, this concern is your job. Or, or, or maybe it's a, you know, a health issue, a health crisis right now, whether it be you or a loved one. Maybe it's the Colts running game, you know, and whether they're going to show up today, you know, with that running game and, and win another. Or maybe right now the great concern for you is whether to buy that new car or not, or how am I going to pay for college, you know, pay for my kids' college. I mean, those are valid concerns. Now, here's the question as you look at that flower again, as you think about your concern, which of these concerns concerns God? 
Which of these concerns in your life, which of them concern God? And, and when it comes to concerns, you know, compare them to, to God's concerns right now. When it comes to what you are truly concerned about, compare them to what concerns God. And for the sake of this story and example, let's just take lost people for that matter. And, and that is true and that is right, that God is concerned about lost people. And so what concerns you more? Is it the money? Is it the house? Is it the car? Is it the college bill? Or is it your sister? Or your dad? Or your boss? Or that best friend from college who still doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And then what prevents us from responding? I mean, what prevents us from being used by God? Is it that we're more concerned about our reputation? That we won't say anything to them because we don't want to shake you know, the family. We don't want to, you know, interrupt the peace that might be there right now. You know, that we're more concerned about our reputation or, or we're more concerned about our schedule. That I've got my schedule under control right now. I, I can't mess this up. I can't let this event or this ministry or whatever, this person interrupt my schedule. I'm more concerned about my schedule. What are your greatest concerns right now? Is it your hobby? Is it your yard? Is it your kids? Uh, is it your parking spot here on Sunday morning? I mean, we all have concerns. But how do your concerns line up to what truly concerns God? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to let this flower represent what truly concerns God right now. And that's lost people today. And maybe even get more specific with it. Is there a person in your life right now, a picture, a name that God is putting in your life, someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, And would you let this flower represent that person? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home today. I want you to take this with you. And I want you to go home and I don't want you to put it in water. But I want you to lay it on the counter or put it on the refrigerator or your dresser or put it in your car. And I want you to watch it die. And I want you to watch it wither and wilt and for the petals to fall off. And as you watch that take place, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you that you would pray to God, God, give me a greater passion, a greater desire. Help me to see the urgency of the moment of this person or these people that you have put in my life that don't know Jesus Christ. And to believe with all of my heart that you are a God that is working behind the scenes and that you are ready and willing to use me, whatever it is that you ask, God. Pray that God would give you that passion. You know, God had a message for Jonah. Maybe he's got a message for you and for Genesis. Maybe it's this. Genesis, I am truly concerned about children and teens in central Indiana right now. And I've called you. I'm concerned about the single moms and single dads who are trying to make it right now. I'm concerned about marriages in crisis. I'm concerned about people who get up and get in their cars and do the routine of life and have little to no understanding of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And I am calling you, Genesis. Let your concerns be my concerns. Let's pray.